All right, if you could turn with me in your Bible, please, to the book of John and chapter 4. John and chapter 4. And uh, I'm very excited about this coming Youth Summit next week. I trust you all are as well. And I know the student body well enough to know that you're not just excited because you get to be on one of the four teams and because you get to compete in competitions and so on and so forth. I know that uh, most, if not all of you here in the room, your desire is for God to do something in your life. And uh, pastor asked me to speak here this morning. He really wanted me to prepare the way, pave the way for the Youth Summit next week. And uh, for those of you, I've communicated to some of you here and there on what our theme is this year. And uh, our theme is really a uh, defiance. We are having a protest next week against cancel culture. (laughs) Um, The the theme, as I've stated, is not cancel. And I want you to understand something, young people. God's plan for you is not canceled. Your potential in God's eyes is not canceled. World missions is not canceled. And one of my burdens for this week is for the young people to get their eyes off of their own issues, though we need to deal with those issues most assuredly. And though we need to grapple with the shortcomings and failures in our lives, my burden is that we would Um, get our eyes on our potential and on what God can do in and through our lives for Him. I want us to realize, all of us, that even in the midst of the crisis that our country is currently in, we can still turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. We don't need to wait for a better time. We don't need to wait till everything is free and clear and people aren't afraid anymore. In fact, now is the most crucial time uh, to be working in his harvest fields. And so that being said, as I've been been thinking and praying just about what God would have me to speak, I've had a multitude of burdens for next week, and I really felt like a couple days ago the Lord gave real clarity for what he wanted me to preach in the Youth Summit itself. But you know, there was one burden that has really formulated and shaped, um, shaped, how I personally have endeavored to handle the whole COVID situation. Um, And uh, that passage wasn't actually one of the passages the Lord laid on my heart for the Youth Summit. So when Pastor asked me to speak here this morning, and as I was meditating and grappling with what God would have me to speak, the Lord brought me back uh, to this passage. Uh, John chapter 4, as I think most of you know, is the story of the woman in the well. Uh, Throughout the chapter, we see Jesus' determination to go where the need was. He knew that there were opportunities there in this city of Sychar. And so he um, departed from the normal way the Jews would have traveled at that time. And he said he must, needs, go through Samaria. He purposed to go where the needs were, to purpose to go where the opportunities were. And there he ended up sitting at a well while his disciples went into town to uh, gather food and the necessities that they needed there. And of course, you know, Jesus took that opportunity and frankly, what was an inopportune situation from a human standpoint, and he chose to have a conversation with this woman. My purpose is not so much to examine the conversation that he had, except to say, I think we all know in hindsight now, looking at this story, there was a divine opportunity in this seemingly inopportune city and this seemingly inopportune moment. 
Uh, Jesus wasn't thrown when there were arguments brought up. He stayed on mission, on task, on message uh, throughout this conversation. And you know that at the conclusion of this conversation, uh, at verse 25 and 26, this woman was greatly impacted. Uh, This woman here, uh, she got the point. She understood the message. She realized her own sinfulness and sinful lifestyle. She realized that the solution was not her own graspings and clawings at religion there at Mount Gerizim, but she realized that the solution was the Messiah and that the Messiah was there speaking to her. And she was her own personal rescuer and her own personal solution. In verse 27, uh, we read, and it says, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ or the Messiah? And um, what we find here is um, the disciples walked into a divine appointment and they were as they often were throughout the Gospels completely clueless as to what in the world was going on. Um, I'm sure we've all had this happen where you walk into a conversation midstream, right? I personally like to do this. If If you ever see me walking by you and you say, should I do this or this? Typically, I'll just say, you ought to do that one. I've done that to some of you probably. And I just do that because I like to butt into conversations and make people smile. That's my modus operandi typically. Um, (laughs) But here the disciples, they come in on this conversation and all they see is this woman. They have no idea what Jesus was talking to her about. They have no idea what was going on. They had no clue what was happening in this woman's heart. They had no idea. All they know is this woman was talking to Jesus and she didn't even take her pot with her. She seemed somewhat emotional. Something was happening, but she just runs away. And I'm sure they're probably looking around thinking, that was weird, right? And the disciples were clueless to what God was doing right in front of their noses. It says in verse number 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. This woman had gone. She went into the city. She was talking to people and saying, you you you're never going to believe who I met. I met the Messiah. He told me all about my past, and uh, he can change your life too. And so it says, then they, that's the people that she talked to, went out of the city and started coming unto him is the idea. So at this time, The disciples are here, and literally what's happening is a lady got saved. She went back into the city, and she started telling everybody, you got to meet this guy. This is unbelievable. And the people are thinking, wow, this is unusual. We've got to see this for ourselves. And so all of these people, a crowd of people, start trucking out of the city towards Jesus. My point is not so much the divine appointment. My point is not so much the people. It's not so much the woman. It's the disciples. Uh, I want you to look at verse number 31. In the mean, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Remember, they had gone into the city to get food, to get supplies. They came back, and evidently, they had mealtime on their mind. Um, They were thinking about their bellies, and they were thinking about their Savior, uh, the human needs, the physical needs that he had there, and they say, you know, oh, that was weird. I wonder what that was all about. Hey, master, here, we got some food for you. Here you go. 
Remember, at this very moment, there are people making their way out of the city to meet with Jesus. And look at what Jesus says to them. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now, personally, this little interaction makes me laugh. Okay? Master, here's some food. Here you go. He says, I have food to eat of that you, you don't realize that I had. And look at the next verse. I love this. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Where do you get the food from? <laughs> and Jesus is, of course, speaking in a metaphor. Jesus isn't talking about human sustenance. He's not talking about a hoagie that he found sitting next to the well. Half of you know what that is. Half of you don't. Um, he's not talking about food at all. Jesus is speaking, and of course you see in the next verse, he, he clarifies what he means. Jesus saith unto them, my meat or my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Oftentimes, and Pastor Zempel could probably tell you better than I do, Jesus would say things in such a way to get his disciples to think. He would say things in such a way that wasn't necessarily straightforward, and for the sake of his disciples, he said that to them to snap them out of whatever wrong pattern of thinking that they were thinking and to get them to think the way that he wanted them to think. And so when they come and their focus is all on, hey, it's mealtime, let's eat, and he says, oh, I've got food that you don't realize, and they're like, what? And he says, no, 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 here's what I'm talking about. Listen, guys, you got your focus on your stomachs. You got your focus on the food. There's nothing wrong with that, but I want you to understand that there is something right now that is far more urgent to me, that is far more important, that is far more necessary, that is far more satisfying than filling my belly. And that is accomplishing my Father's will. See, Jesus, he was on mission. His disciples were not. Jesus had his focus on the plan of God. His disciples had their focus on the menu plan. And Jesus was trying to get their eyes off of themselves. And he was trying to teach them through his example and through his words to get their minds on their mission. You know, to be honest with you, um, <clears throat> it's, it's so easy sometimes to allow our human necessities to drive our agenda, isn't it? Y'all have a lot of human necessities, especially those of you in Greek right now, right? There are real human necessities of learning the alphabet for you seminarians, for learning the aleph Beth. And um, there are very real necessities of studying and preparing for quizzes. There are real necessities that are going to happen around 12 o'clock or 11.55 or whatever time it is that you eat around here to fill your stomach with sustenance. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important. And I'm not saying you need to not study ever. But what I'm saying is this. What is more important to you? Accomplishing the human necessities of life. Survival. Or accomplishing your Father's will. Um, I, I just want to submit to you here in this passage, Jesus is trying to get his disciples to lift their eyes up from their necessities and to get them onto 
the opportunities that were literally marching towards them at that very moment. I've got four points that I want to give you here that I think will be a help to you. These are four things I think Jesus was trying to teach his disciples here in this passage to get their eyes off of themselves and onto their mission. And the first one is this. Um, he says that my need is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And in essence, he's telling them, listen, <laughs> you've got an appetite for whatever this was that you brought to me. You've got an appetite at the moment for food. I would rather that you had an appetite for God's will. And the first thing that I want to submit to you here is you need to get an appetite for God's will. As much as you would not skip a mealtime, you must not skip seeking and obeying God's will. At the seminary retreat, we spent some time talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to be saying some more about that uh, one of the sessions at the Youth Summit. But you know, walking in the Spirit is not just this, this kind of general attitude. It's not even just being dependent all of the time. Walking in the Spirit is listening, seeking, and obeying the Holy Spirit all day long. It's being sensitive to his promptings. It's submitting your agenda to his approval or disapproval. It's being redirectable by the Holy Spirit if he takes you off your current course and puts you on a different one. Walking in the Spirit is step by step by step throughout your day being yielded to whatever the Holy Spirit wants from you. And you know, here he's essentially saying, listen, more than I want my next meal, more than I want to accomplish the human necessities of life, I want to accomplish my Father's mission for my life. Obeying God today is more important than eating lunch. And it's so easy to be so consumed with the temporal necessities of our lives that we're not listening. And we frankly don't have time for God's will. You know, they say duty is never conflict, and that's true. They just overlap once in a while. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, throughout your day, I just want to challenge you just with this thought. Would you let the Holy Spirit mess up your plans today? Are you willing for him to take away that crucial study time that you need to accomplish that quiz later on today in Bible doctrines, perhaps? Are you willing to set that aside if God were to tell you to do something else? Are you willing to sacrifice a letter grade to obey God? So many times we get so focused and so demanding of what we want that we're no pleasant to be around than a screaming two-year-old. I've got one of those, uh, a two-year-old that sometimes can be pretty demanding on what he wants. Jude is his name. I think most of you know that. And Jude has developed this habit as of late, really as of the last year, that um, <clears throat> I don't know how he got this habit, probably just because we didn't curb him on it. But Jude likes to wake up before anybody else in the morning, and he likes to come up into mommy and daddy's bed, climb into bed with us, snuggle for about 15 seconds, okay? 
And the snuggle part is kind of what gets us, just to be honest with you, you know, because there is nothing like the hormones that go through your body when you're snuggling with a little two-year-old. It's just awesome. So he'll crawl up into bed. He'll just kind of snuggle up close, typically to mommy, not to daddy. And within 15 seconds, he'll say, I want cereal. I want cereal. And we're like, Jude, just, just go to sleep. I want cereal. And... Um, what inevitably happens is, you know, eventually he'll jump down out of the bed and he'll go downstairs, he'll climb up into his high chair and he'll sit there and he'll call up to us. Mama, I want cereal. And he'll do that till we get out there. Sometimes he'll get mad. Sometimes he'll scream. Frankly, he just needs a spanking. And we do that. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is my two-year-old is really, really good at trying, not succeeding, but trying to twist mommy and daddy's arm to get what he wants. He's really good at ignoring, because he's a sinful two-year-old, at ignoring what we're telling him and insisting on what he wants. And you're pretty good at it, too. You don't climb into your high chair in the dining hall and demand food. But sometimes you do ignore God for food. Sometimes you do say no to the Holy Spirit because you say, well, I've got stuff to do right now. And that is exactly the thing that Jesus was trying to fix in his disciples. He wanted them to develop an appetite for doing God's will. Jesus, the way he phrased it, is that his very sustenance came from obeying God. And it's interesting, too, what he says here. He says, uh, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It's interesting to me here that Jesus adds that to the end of what he says. In other words, <clears throat> my sustenance isn't just to dabble at God's will. My, my priority is not just to accomplish enough of God's will so that I feel good about myself today. My passion and my priority is not only to start, but to finish what God wants me to do. How many times has God led you to start something that you didn't finish? How many times have you started with a contact that maybe you led to Christ or maybe it was a, a good contact that you had out there in netcasters or something like that and you know that God led you and it was a step of faith to go and talk to that person and that they said that they were open to you coming back sometime and you rejoiced in God. You felt so great about how God used you there to make that contact there that day and you haven't done anything with it since. You've been there? I have. And it's so easy to set our threshold for accomplishment to be doing enough to make me feel like I've accomplished something, but not to finish the work that God intended for me to do. Um, partial obedience is what? It sure is. Um, See, Jesus, again, I just want to bring it back to the context of what was happening in the story. Jesus, <coughs> um, he had just had an amazing divine appointment 
an unbelievable appointment, and he knew this was leading to even bigger opportunities. Literally, the men were on their way to talk to him, and his disciples were totally not on the same page as his father. And he wanted to snap them to attention and get them to see the opportunities that were literally marching towards him. That's where the next verse comes in. Look at what it says. Say not ye, there are yet four months. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. See, Jesus not only wanted them to get an appetite for God's will, he also wanted them to get a vision for the ready harvest. I remind you, I've said it before, I'll say it again. There were opportunities walking towards them. Probably less than a mile, half a mile away from them. And he's saying... Get your eyes off of your food and look at the opportunities right in front of your nose. <clears throat> you know, I just want to say this. The harvest is ready now. There is no better time. And I recognize that when I make that statement, you might think, but this, but that, but this. And I want you to know you can find all kinds of excuses that make a whole lot of sense for concluding that now's not a good time. Some of them make sense because of, like we've already talked about, the human necessities of life. But furthermore, you might be thinking, you know, that's just not how things work right now. How many of you have gone out soul winning since you've been back to school? I really hope it's everybody. Okay. Have you felt the pressure at the door like I have? How many of you have had somebody say something about you not wearing a mask? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have said something about them being uncomfortable talking with you because of COVID? Okay. How many of you have just felt the pressure of all of that? We've got some great excuses today, don't we? And we've got some real reasons to say Maybe not now. Maybe later. As far as the analogy that Jesus is giving, it makes sense. He says, isn't this the way that we typically do things? Um, there, are, uh, there are four months, and then comes the harvest. Scholars argue about when he was saying this and why exactly he was saying this here at this time. But I think based on um, the proceeding, the following context, I think he's saying, listen, don't you typically expect to plant a seed and then work for a long period of time and then later on to reap the results? Isn't that typically how it works in farming, isn't it? You don't plant, turn around, and turn right back and, woo, I got a corn stalk. That's just not normally how it works. And yet what he's saying is, I don't want you to think like that when it comes to the opportunities all around you. you got to realize these opportunities are not just future opportunities when COVID's gone and there's a vaccine out there, whether you feel comfortable taking it or not. <clears throat> that's a totally separate discussion. 
It's not about when the hype is gone or the election is over. It's not about some sunny future day when it's not as cold out in December. You know, when it's not as cold about, if you're thinking in December, thinking, oh, when May comes or in our case here, when June comes and it gets above 50 degrees, you know. Um, it's not about some rosy future time. It's Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand the harvest is ready now. But here's the thing. If you've got your eyes on your own things, if all you've got is like a horse with those blinders on the side, if all you've got is your Greek book right in front, you won't see the person on the other side of the Greek book. If all you've got is a giant cheesesteak in your face, which sounds really good right now, You won't see the opportunities all around you. In other words, if your head's down and you choose not to see, nobody can force you to see, and you'll miss all the opportunities that are right here, right now. <clears throat> you know, I, um, I've recently, even just this week, I, I've been made aware by the Lord of, of some of this. For some of you, you may or may not know, three years ago, I, I've been helping out with Netcasters for a number of years now, and while I was out on Netcasters several years ago, I got to lead a man to the Lord named Alvin, and uh, he was outside working on his car, and I just talked to him. It honestly didn't seem like an opportune time because he was working on something, and I didn't feel like interrupting, but I thought, well, you know, we're out on Netcasters. This is what we do. And so I started asking him the key questions, and I started taking the opportunities, and by the end of the conversation, he bowed his head and made a decision for Jesus Christ. And you know what? I learned something there that day, I, and I've learned that many other times, and so have you, when you've been on a door and you've been thinking, this is not a good time, but I am going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to try anyway and see what happens. And you found out this didn't seem like a good opportunity, but it ended up being an amazing opportunity. See, the thing is, is, you'll never find out if you don't lift up your eyes and look. You'll never find out if that was an unbelievable divine appointment unless you redirect your path at times and go where the people are to let the salt touch the meat like we heard about earlier this semester. And uh, Jesus here is exemplifying this. He's saying, listen, there are opportunities all over the place and all you care about right now is stuffing your face with food. Now, I want, you to, I want you to get this. To be honest with you, me, with you, I love verse 34 and 35. But I've been very perplexed for a long time with verses 36, 37, and 38. As I was preparing for this message here this morning as I, and as I was studying these verses, I really think the Lord gave me a, a, a good idea and application of what's going on here. If you look at verse 36 here, it says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Okay, what he's saying here is, listen, when you think about people in fields, right, working the harvest fields, you typically think the most positively about the guy who actually brings home the bacon, to use a different analogy. You typically think most highly and most positively about the guy that actually brings the sheaves home, the guy that actually 
reaps the results, right? Those are typically the people uh, that, that, uh, that we can think of highly. And here he says, the person that reaps receives wages. And they gather fruit or results unto life eternal. And, and you know, there's a very real sense in which if you're the person that reaps, if you will get your eyes off of yourself and onto the opportunities, and if you will work in the fields and take advantage of what's in front of you, you're going to reap and you're going to have results and rewards that will meet you in heaven. That's pretty awesome. But look at the last part. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. That phrase always confused me. <clears throat> and I think what he's saying here is essentially this. You who reaped are not the only ones who are going to rejoice in heaven. It's not just going to be the person who led the person to Christ, but it's also going to be all of the people that contributed towards that decision and the spiritual product that was produced as a result of it. In fact, if you look at the next verse, verse 37, he says, And herein is that saying true, one soweth, and another reapeth. And I think what he's trying to teach his disciples is, is this. Listen, there are opportunities all around you right now. There are opportunities coming, and guess what? We're going to have an amazing day today. But you know, And you know what? If you lead people to Christ, and if you will learn to take advantage of the opportunities, you're going to have rewards. But I think we all recognize there are lots of hands that have been on that labor prior to this moment. There are people who have sown before you. And I think what he's teaching his disciples here is this. Get an appreciation for the sowing. You know, I think, and again, I'm going to balance this here in just a minute. I think sometimes we can focus exclusively on reaping and if we didn't reap that time out, or if we didn't get the decision we were hoping to get in that discipleship opportunity, we can conclude that we failed and we wasted our time. But I think what he's teaching here is, listen, there need to be people to sow before there can be people to reap. In other words, don't despise the sowing process. Don't shortcut the sowing process. Don't skip the sowing process. Sowing is a legitimate step in the reaping. You think about crops. You really do need to plant some seeds before you get a crop. If all you do is stand around all day and you've never sown and you never sow, you won't reap a thing. And so don't despise the sowing process. You need to, whenever you go out, recognize, listen, I may be investing in the future success of someone else. That doesn't just go for evangelism. That can go for discipleship as well. That can go for your interaction among each other in the student body. And we need to have a perspective that's not just zoomed in on ourselves, and that's not just viewing success in terms of seeing somebody saved, but recognizing that sometimes there really is a process that goes on ahead of time. And don't despise that. Um, the example of Alvin that I was giving, he made a decision that was several years ago, and uh, I have been working to try to get into a discipleship with him or to get him out to church for three years. Three Long, discouraging years. 
I've gone to that guy's door multiple times, just about every time I've been back here, and most of the time he's not there. When uh, I'll text him, I'll send him a message online, and sometimes he'll respond and say, oh yeah, I'll be there for that, and he wouldn't show. Or sometimes he wouldn't answer me at all. And to be honest with you, I was about ready to give up. It just so happened that at Netcasters this last year, I ended up in that neighborhood again, and it just so happened that I came by at one point and tried to talk to his wife, and she told me that he wasn't there, but she would tell him that I was going to be there, and it just so happened I happened to come back at a later time because I was trying to visit somebody else and just happened to find him outside under a car. And I saw him, and I said, hey, Alvin, when are you going to come to church? I was kind of sick of it, to be honest with you. When are you going to come to church? I wasn't going to say, can you come to church? I was saying, when are you going to actually do what you said you're going to do? And he said, how about this Sunday? And I thought, yeah, we've been here before. He's probably not going to come, just to be honest with you. And I said, okay, sounds good. I'll text you the info. And I texted him the info. And that morning in Sunday school, I texted him and I said, hey, you coming this morning? He said, I'm on my way. And he actually came. And you know what? After the service, I had to have a con- got to have a conversation with him. And he told me, he said, you know what? I'm in a, I need help. I appreciate your church trying to help move people forward. And he says, I need that. And so I said to him, I said, hey, well, what, what day would work? I'd love to get together with you. What day would work for you? He says, no, I don't need that kind of help. He said, I need you to tell me what day we're going to get together. And, and just make it happen. Because if you leave it to me, I, it won't happen. So we set a date. He ended up postponing that day. And that was all a part of the Lord. Some things God was doing in my life. And uh, <laughs> we met last night. The first time in three years. And um, we went through the thief on the cross and the encounter. Um, well, actually, let me back up. I asked him, I said, what do you want to get out of this meeting, like us getting together? And he looked at me, he says, to be honest with you, I just want to know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I thought, you know what, I can help you with that. <laughs> <clears throat> and, um, you know, his wife's been praying for him for years to get on track with God. And, you know, I went through the thief on the cross and it became apparent there were some significant misunderstandings regarding the gospel. He bowed his head and he prayed and he trusted Christ. And we're going to get together and talk about assurance on Saturday. And I say all of that to say, I didn't like the sowing process. I felt like the sowing process was a waste of time. I felt like it was futile. I felt like it wasn't going anywhere. Oh, but it was. Don't despise the sowing process. Get an appreciation for the sowing. And yet, on the flip side of this, look at verse 38. He said to his disciples, I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. See, there is an easy... There's an easy... um, extreme that we can go to when we start appreciating sowing and we think, well, everything that I do is sowing. I'm just a seed sower. That's all I ever do. Oh, God forbid that I should reap because I wouldn't want to presume upon God. And uh, there are some folks that I am personally acquainted with, not here, but in other places, they view the entire scope of their ministry as sowing ministries. And they don't reap. 
And I think what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here is, yes, you need to gain an appreciation for the sowing, but you also, you need to get an urgency for the reaping. In other words, you shouldn't be going into a situation thinking, well, maybe three years down the road, I'll get to lead this person to Christ. You ought not be going into a situation thinking, you know, just slow and steady, just slow and steady. I don't want to go too fast here today. You know what I find that when you walk in the Spirit and when you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, He goes a lot faster than you think He's going to go sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes He does. I'll be honest with you, yesterday when I was there talking to Alvin, and as I realized there were misunderstandings, I didn't think he was going to get saved. I didn't think he was going to get saved. I thought there were some significant misunderstandings there and that we were going to come back and we were going to go through the second lesson in the encounter. Maybe he'd get saved at that point. When I began asking the questions, however, I realized God was on the move in his heart and the Holy Spirit was putting together things in his heart and he was indeed ready to get saved. And you know what? I didn't say, hey, let's talk about this next time. I said, hey, you want to do this now? (laughs) And he did. (laughs) And so listen, there is this tightrope walk that you need to make on the one hand. Yes, sometimes you are going to be sowing, but you ought never go into an opportunity unwilling to reap because of your own selfishness and because of your own unbelief. Listen, there are a lot of people that have labored to make uh, your time out soul winning a success. And I'll tell you, A lot of them probably don't go to Falls Baptist Church. There may be spouses praying for these people. There may be people all across the country that you don't even know about that are praying for these people. There may be gospel tracts they got from some liberal church that God just happened to use to partially prepare their hearts for Him. And you need to come into the opportunities not looking forward to a better time, but expecting God to work right now. Expect a harvest and be willing to reap. Others have worked, and you should not waste their efforts. Listen, as we go into this youth summit this next week, there's a lot of labor that has gone into these young people. As you go out soul winning later on this week, there's a lot of labor. There's a lot of things that both God and people have been doing in these people's lives. Go not postponing the harvest. Go expecting it. And yet also recognize not every single opportunity is going to be reaping. You know, young people, I want you to gain a God-sized expectation, even for this next week. And I want you to be praying for God to be consumed. I want you to be consumed with accomplishing whatever piece of the puzzle God wants your life and your influence to accomplish in these young people's lives. Does God want to work today? Does he want you to be a part of it? Let's go and be absolutely surrendered to God. And let's be willing for him to use us however he sees fit. Lord Jesus, thank you for the students. Thank you for their heart. I know this is something that that resonates with many, if not all of them. And I just pray, Lord, you would give us your perspective on reaping. Uh, Lord, I, I want to reap. I love to reap. I don't like to sow. Would you please give me a faith-filled perspective on the sowing process? Give these young people a faith-filled perspective on the sowing process. But Lord, I pray that we would never stop short of reaping the ripe opportunities that you place before our very eyes. So Lord, would you please bless us now as we go? Would you fill our hearts with a God-sized vision? In Jesus' name, amen.